Well, good morning, church. How are we doing today? Good morning, church. How are we doing today? Yeah. Awesome. It's great to be with you guys. Actually, Jacob, will you give me that water really quick? Because I'm going to need that. It's on the front row right there. Appreciate that, man. So while he's doing that, I want to welcome you guys in. Um, man, I was uh, telling the, the first service as we were uh, joining for worship, just um, before I dive into my sermon, I just want to share uh, some things that God is doing in my life just personally as a testimony uh, before I kind of dive in. This isn't really connected to the, the sermon, but uh, I'm just so thankful for the Lord, and God has just been speaking to me in so many ways just in my own personal life. And uh, I just want to encourage you just randomly, if the Lord putting this on my heart, that uh, to really just seek him out in your life. Uh, I've been recently reading in Romans 8, and so if you're looking for, if you've been like, like unsure what to read in the Bible, and you're doing Bible flip and you're kind of confused and you spend your whole time just trying to figure out what you want to read, I highly recommend Romans chapter 8. God's been speaking to me through that passage. Uh, it's talking about life in the Spirit. And so uh, I'm just amazed that we get to do this. Like I'm so thankful for God in my life and his goodness. And so um, even as we're gathering here today to worship and sing. This is just so cool what we get to do. And I never want us to miss the wonder of that and the goodness of who God is in all things. And so we're not just talking about God today. Like God is here in our presence. He's in our midst by the power of his spirit. And we as a church, we just want to rejoice in that in every single way. So I'm glad to be with you and I hope you're glad to be with me this morning. But uh, we've been in a series entitled Come and See. And if you're new or visiting or checking out the church, um, this is a great time to check it out because we're talking about our core um, passions and convictions here as a church. And today we're talking about our uh, core conviction of true love, that we want to be a church that's about uh, demonstrating true love in our body and to the world around us. And one of the things at times I've been convicted of as a younger pastor is um, leading in the church and not having like love be a core value. We, we get excited about a lot of different things and we talk about a lot of different things in the church. And yet if one of our core values and focuses in the church is not love, then I would just argue we're like really out of line with like the majority of the Old and the New Testament. And so we want to be a church that radically demonstrates love. And next week, we're going to talk about one of our uh, core convictions, which is like kind of reaching out to the community. And we, we have a lot of exciting things going on, a lot of things we want to do to reach out, a lot of cool uh, strategies for that. But before we even talk about reaching out to the world and um, even kind of sharing Jesus with them, what we need to realize is it is important how we interact in this church together. And so it's important that we in this church are, are loving each other and caring for each other so that when the world does interact with us, they will see that love. And I take this out of John 13, verse 35, and that's going to be one of our first texts this morning. So turn to John 13, and we're going to stand in one moment to read it. But uh, I just want to share with you one of the verses in that passage here really quick, a verse that God just been put on my heart this whole week. It's just been haunting me in so many good ways. And this is what Jesus says. Listen to what he says. He says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. That that's how Jesus says the world will know that we are his disciples, is by how we love each other. Not how much Bible do you know, how often you go to church, um, how holy you are. That the way the world will see him is by how we love each other here in the church community. And so I want to lay a question before us this morning. And I want this question to be the center of everything we do today because I don't want this to be hypothetical for us. I want this to be very, very real for us today. Not like, you know, what was it like for the disciples, but for us in, in this room, for us in this church, here's my question. 
How would we have to love each other at New Day in order for our city to look at us and know we are truly disciples of Jesus? Like, what would that look like? What would we have to be doing with and for each other for them to look at us and say, man, those people are different and they are truly followers of Jesus? Because we want to be a demonstration here at New Day of the love of Jesus in this community specifically. And so often people talk about, well, it'd be easier to, to believe in God if I could like see him physically and, and tangibly, right? Because God is spirit and God is invisible. But the reality is, is the church is supposed to be the body of Christ. We are supposed to be the body of Christ. And so when they see us, they should see the love of God through us. And so we want to create that. And I have a feeling, I'm not going to give away my whole idea yet, but I'm going to, I'm going to imagine that probably if they were to look at us and say there's something different about those people, it probably would not just be we come to the building, we, put the, we get the service in, and we go home. And that's about it. That's probably not going to be, wow, the love of God is there, right? That's probably not what it's going to look like, but I think Jesus is going to teach us today what it looks like. And so our first passage today is John chapter 13, verses 31 through 35. And so would you stand with me at this time? as we stand in the honor of the reading of God's word. Just really quick, the he that Jesus is referring to here, um, or the author of, of the Gospel of John is referring to is Judas Iscariot, uh, but I'll explain it more here in a second. It said, when he, being Judas, had gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, a little, yet a little while I am with you, but you will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. May God bless the reading of his word. You can be seated at this time. So as we begin our time together today, I, I want to begin building a foundation for us. And so just really simply, John 13 shows us what we've been talking about, that true love is how the world will know that we are truly disciples of Jesus. So how we love each other will demonstrate to the world that we are truly followers of Jesus. And yet I think when you understand the fuller context of this passage specifically, it becomes a lot deeper. So I want to share it with you really quick. So this passage comes right after John 13, 21 through 30, where Judas is essentially outed by Jesus as the one who's going to betray him. And so Jesus had 12 followers, 12 disciples, and he said, one of you will betray me, and it turns out to be Judas. And so Judas is going to go uh, turn in Jesus to the authorities, and they're going to crucify him on the cross. And so that has just happened right before the passage that we're reading today. So Judas has just left. That's why in verse 31 it says, when he had gone out. And so what Jesus is saying is in verse 31, he says, Now is the Son of Man glorified and God is glorified in him. And so what he's saying is, I'm about to go to the cross. It's going to get ugly, but don't worry, God is going to be glorified in this. And yet what he's telling his followers in this moment is, I'm about to be taken away from you. And where I'm going, you cannot come because I'm going to die on the cross. You're not going to die on the cross. That's going to happen. I'm going to be buried. Eventually I'm going to be raised and then sent back into heaven. But I'm about to go away from you. And so what he is saying in this moment is the reason or the way they can tell you're my followers right now is literally you were following me around, okay? You are like my literal followers, not just spiritual followers. So Jesus is walking around the world and the followers are following him around. So they're his followers and they're his disciples. 
He's like, but I'm about to be taken away from you. And so this passage comes in the context of him saying, I'm going to be taken away from you physically, but whenever I'm gone, they're still going to know you're my disciples, but it's going to be by the way that you love each other. And what I want you to know is that because after Jesus was um, buried after uh, the crucifixion and he rose again, he ascended back into heaven until he will come back in his perfect timing when he's ready to redeem everything in his perfect plan. But since we're in that same place where he's not with us physically, this applies to us just as much as it did to the disciples. And so in the same way, Jesus wants the world to know that we are his followers by the way that we love each other. And so when you look in verse 35, he says, By this they will know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. But verse 34, look back one verse, he defines what that actually looks like. It's specific. It's not just any kind of love or however you think love is or whatever, you know, uh, Instagram says love is or whatever, you know, cable news says love is. He says, no, verse 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Here's a key phrase. Just as I have loved you. And that is the most important verse for our time together today. That when we talk about love, we have to be extremely careful. Because I have this conviction, and maybe there's a word that I'm missing that is more wrongly used and more misused in our world today. But I think, and at the very least you have to agree, it's, it's very wrongly used, that love is the word that is the most misused in our world today. We use it all the time, we say it all the time, and yet usually what we, what we mean when we say love is not like I would die for you or I'd do anything for you. When we say love today, we usually mean I like you or I like something. So I love Taco Bell, right? Probably doesn't mean you would give your life for Taco Bell, right? That just means that you like Taco Bell and you like that it's cheap and that it, you know, tastes delicious even though it's really bad for you. That's what you mean. But you say, I like you. And a lot of times when we use the word love to other people, what we're really saying is like, you benefit me or you are, I, I love you. We're saying like, man, like you, I like you. And, 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 and so I want to emotionally express that to you. But a lot of times when we use that word, we don't mean this deep kind of love like Jesus meant. A good example of this is this past week, I was on date night with my wife. And uh, we went to the place which I consider to be the single greatest Tex-Mex restaurant in uh, Houston. And that's saying a lot because we got some amazing Tex-Mex. And I can't even pronounce the name. Uh, maybe you can help me. It's the uh, Teo Tejuana, whatever. Teo Tejuacan. That's it right there. Yeah, thank you, Chelsea. I knew Chelsea would help me out. So, um, but yeah, Teo Tejuacan. It's an amazing restaurant. It's my favorite Tex-Mex. But they also have what I consider to be the single best food item in Houston. And I'm not, I, I'm not exaggerating. Like if you could bring me one food item from Houston, it would be this enchilada. I got a picture up here. This is my wife with it. Um, this is my wife on our date, not looking cute. Um, and this is what is called a seafood enchilada, okay? Go to Teotihuacan and get you a seafood enchilada, right? And praise the Lord and text me and say thank you for that, right? Because it is the best food item. And we're eating it this Friday. And, and, I'm, I'm, and I, I got to confess this. I'm like, I love this. She's like, I love this. It's so good. Oh, my goodness. It's like this wonderful, it's like stuffed with shrimp, you know. And it's like an, it's like an enchilada but with like Alfredo-ish kind of sauce. And it is so good. And I'm sitting there like, I love this. But I don't really love it. I would not die for a seafood enchilada from Teotihuacan, you know. I wouldn't even pay eight bucks for an enchilada from Teotihuacan. It's five bucks and it's worth it, okay. But I wouldn't pay eight bucks. I would probably never get it because I'm cheap. I'm a cheap 
dad, okay? That's cheap middle-class dad. That's what I am, right? And so I would not die for it. I don't really love it, but I say that word, and I'm like, why do I say this word about this thing? But that's what we often mean. We're like, I, I, I like something. <laughs> it's like the famous Beatles song where they say, uh, all you need is love, you know? But then they broke up and they hated each other. And so it's like either, either that's not true, that all we need is love, or maybe the way they see love is the way we often see love in this world. And it's a very flimsy kind of uh, conditional kind of love. But Jesus has something far greater. See, church, we don't want the world's vision for love. We don't want that. We want Jesus' vision for love. So the question today is what is true love or how do we love the answer is we love like Jesus loved us. As we ask this question today, man, like what would, would have to look like for people to look at us and say those are truly followers of Jesus? The answer is we would have to love like Jesus did. But turn to John 17. So we read John 13. Uh, flip a couple pages forward probably in your Bible to John 17 verses 20 through 23. And as we read this passage, realize that to, to, it's kind of like the, the story is fast forwarded now. So in John 13... Judas is going to betray Jesus. Fast forward to uh, John 17. Jesus is about to be officially turned over and crucified on the cross. And so things are ramping up and heating up in this passage. And as we read this, I want to read this because Jesus prays this for his followers. So before he's taken away, he's praying that we would be something, you know. And, and this is what his prayer for us is. But I want you to notice there's a word he keeps saying in this passage in addition to love that I think gives us a lot of insight into how Jesus himself defines true love. And so I'll read it for us in John 17, starting in verse 20. Praying to the Father, Jesus says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as, Father, you are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Man, do, do you see what he's saying in that passage? Like, I, I gotta be honest, all these all these passages that we're reading today, there, there's just something in me that resists it. That like it's too extreme, it's too intense. Are we really supposed to be that close and, and that uh, loving towards each other? Because when you look at what Jesus is saying here, he's praying for his followers that they would be one like Jesus is one with the Father. That Jesus' prayer for us in this church, once again, let's not just be hypothetical here, that us here at New Day in this community is that we would be one, like Jesus was one with the Father. The same, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the, the Trinity in the Godhead, that we are to be one and unified like that. And what Jesus lays before us is that true love is not liking something or being into something or even just admiring something, but true love is oneness. That what true love is, is being one. The definition of oneness is this. The fact or state of being unified or whole, though comprised of two or more parts. And so oneness is this image of we're different and we are individuals. God did create us differently, 
But the way that we do our lives and love each other, it should connect us in such a way that when people see us, they can see us individually, but they really see us as a whole or as a unit. And Jesus is the perfect example of this because Jesus came into the world and did life with humanity. He did life with the disciples. I mean, think about Jesus. He could have just come in and come into the world and, and, and just kind of taught a lot and went off on his own and did all those kind of things. But Jesus did life with the disciples. He, it says he reclined at table with them. Do you realize the implication that God is literally coming and like hanging out with humanity? could have just taught amazing sermons and did what he had to do and kind of was, be whisked away into his like personal private chamber where only God can be. I mean, that would make sense. And yet Jesus was personal. He, he broke bread. He literally shared meals with his followers. And so when we gather as a community group, when we share a meal, we are literally living out the life of Jesus by sharing a meal with people. You see, Jesus was with his followers spiritually, but also physically. He's demonstrating what love is. Love is doing life together. It's oneness. It's, it's being connected in a very intimate kind of way. You see, kids, they spell love. I love this. Kids spell love, T-I-M-E. But I would argue so does everybody else. Time is how everybody spells love. And so true love is oneness. It is being together. And it's interesting, a lot of times when we're trying to, you know, engage our friends with the gospel or have spiritual conversations, you know, one way we can do that, is that we, which we should, we should have like very real conversations and spiritual conversations. But I think a lot of us know deep down that one of the things that can often be very compelling when you're trying to engage your friends with the gospel is like, hey, come to church with me. And we just kind of know there's something about that that just means very powerful. And yet the thing about that is I think often what we think is so powerful about church isn't really what's so powerful. We think, well, if they come to church, they've got the preaching. And, and maybe, the, maybe the, the preacher man can say it more passionately than I can, you know. Uh, or maybe it's the music man because we have amazing music here. I love our music. Like, like amazing music and it's beautiful and it's, it's loud and it's inspiring. And it's all these kinds of stuff. I love the music. And they'll, they'll love the music. It'll move them. Or the, the coffee, we got great coffee. Or, or the building, the aesthetic and the lights. And like, like, man, they'll love all the stuff. They'll love the event. And we think those are the things that compel people when they gather with us. But, but I can argue that's not actually really what compels people. Because um, if you were to show up next week and invite your friend and you come into the service, just, just walk with me hypothetically here, and you walk in, imagine everything is set up and we got coffee and we got lights and the building's looking good and I'm here to preach and we got Dustin singing some songs and you know, the whole service is set up. Except when you walk in, it's literally just you and your friend and you sit in the middle of the room by yourself and nobody else is here, Okay. And you think, well, maybe we're not having service, but we start the service, and we sing the music, and I'm preaching the sermon, and we got all the stuff, and yet you are the only ones in the room, okay? There's something in us that knows that would not be very compelling for the gospel. Why? Because they would think it was a cult, and they're like, I'm the sacrifice killing, okay? That, that's what happened here, right? Well, this is, this, so this is how it ends, you know? Like, that would not be compelling. But you got the preaching, you got the music. Got the coffee, got the lights, got all the stuff that we think is so compelling. But you take that exact same scenario. You put 100 or 200 people in this room. All of a sudden, we sense, man, they'll be sensing something powerful in this moment. And the reason is, it is because it's our unity and our oneness and how we do things together that is compelling more than any individual thing that we do. 
It's not just the sermon, but it's that we listen to the sermon together. It's not just the songs, but that we sing the songs together. It's not just the building, but it's that we come to the building together. It is the oneness, because it's true what Jesus said in John 13, that they will know you're my disciples by how you love each other. And so it's the way that we love each other that compels people to follow Jesus. It's the way that he draws people. And what oneness is, church, is this. It is breaking down the barriers. I want you to hear this. Between yours and mine. That's what love is. When love increases, it means more of the barrier between you and me has been broken down. And so like in in marriage, ideally what it's supposed to be is literally two people becoming what? One. And so one of the most unhealthy things you can say in your marriage is, well, that's her problem. That's his problem. I don't struggle with that, you know? No, like their problems are your problems. Your problems are their problems. Their job is your job. Your job is like, like you have to be together. That's the point because that's love. And in the church community, it's the same way. There's not like an us and them. There's not people that do the ministry, people that receive the ministry. It's everyone is ministered to and everybody is a minister in the body. That's oneness. It's like we've got stuff to do, we've got people to reach, and so we all help in that. We need people to serve, we need people to love, and so I don't just, like, loving your church isn't just showing up and saying, I love the music, I love the preaching, and it's really convenient for me where it's located, and so, like, I just love it, you know? That's liking, that's not loving. Loving in the way that Jesus loved is to draw near and say, I am literally a part of this body. I'm a part, like, like, I'm a minister, like, like, I am helping make this happen. It's seeing yourself as one, like, I'm a part of them. And you're like, well, that sounds like really weird. I I know because it's different because it works. That we're supposed to be different in the way that we demonstrate love. That we're supposed to be so joined at the hip as a community that people see us as one and then they will know that we are different. When I was growing up, I had a really good friend. And some of you actually uh, knew this guy. His name was Big Joe. He's a great friend of mine. And man, me, I got a picture up here somewhere. It's me and Big Joe. This is me and Big Joe back in the day. And um, man, me and Big Joe, some of y'all know him. We did life together for a season. I mean, we were literally like joined at the hip in high school. He was such a cool guy. And uh, man, Big Joe was old school. Uh, Big Joe never called before he came or texted. He just showed up. Remember those days? You remember those days, right? Remember those days? Yeah, those are long gone. But that's how it used to be, for those of you that are too young to remember that, right? Um, there was a time, believe it, there was a time where the way you would know that somebody was at your house was this way. That's how you would know. Oh, somebody's here. Now it's like, someone's come to kill me. That's what we think, right? Like, I'm dead, okay? Like, why are, you know, the only reason somebody would not call or text before they come over is because they don't want me to know that they're coming over and they want to kill me. That's what we think, Okay. But there was a time where, like, I would not know Joe was coming up. So we lived on a cul-de-sac. His truck would come, like, like around the cul-de-sac, and he would pull up. And he would drive, like, 80 around the cul-de-sac, and it was so dangerous, right? But it announced his arrival. And, and the weird thing about it was when he showed up unannounced, it wasn't weird because we were just such good friends. Big Joe and I did everything together. And, and, and Joe was such a good illustration of this because uh, with, with me and Joe, when, when we were growing up, like, everything we had was, was like, literally shared. Like he, uh, when he was 15, he lied. You know, like if you like say you have a hardship, you can get a license at 15 and all that kind of stuff. He didn't have a hardship. He lied. But he got a license at 15, so that was actually like really cool. And so he got a license at 15 and he got a truck. But when Big Joe got a truck, 
was like, I had a truck, right? So I was very, I was very excited for Big Joe because he drove me around everywhere. We went everywhere in that blue, uh, I forgot, blue Chevy truck. I forgot what it was, Silverado, blue uh, uh, Chevy Silverado. We drove everywhere in that truck together. I was in a little teenage rock band, and so there was a season where he was like literally our, he wasn't a manager, but he was our manager, and he was our photographer, and our lives came together because he had a truck and we had a band, and so we would load up all of our stupid music equipment into his car, and he would drive us to the show, and he'd unload it with us, and he'd hang out and have fun with us. We did everything together. All of my friends were his friends. All of his friends were my friends. We played basketball together. We played football together. We shared everything in common. We even went to prom together, right? I mean, we, we had separate dates. We double dated at prom, you know. Uh, but we, we double dated at prom together. It was a great experience. I mean, Big Joe was literally my best friend. He would come sleep in my house all the time. But it wasn't like we'd plan a sleepover. He would just come at 10 o'clock at night and sleep. And it was not uncommon for me to wake up in the middle of the night and walk downstairs and get a glass of water. And Big Joe's just sleeping on my couch. In fact, what was so weird was that it wasn't weird. See, we were true friends, and I think the true test of a true friend, um, like a really good friend, is you can literally be together and be doing nothing together. Like one's watching TV and one's sleeping, one's cooking, one's scrolling on their phone. Like we can just be together. And that's just an example, I think, of what the church is trying to strive for, is that level of togetherness. I know we're not, a lot of us aren't in high school, so living that out, we have different lives and responsibilities. But the, the goal is to be a people who are united together. Where everyone sees themselves as a part of the community where we personally know each other. Because if we don't personally know each other, we can't love each other. And so Jesus drew near to his followers and disciples and we draw near to each other in life through community groups and through everything else that we do one of the things someone told me the other day was so encouraging they said this is like the the easiest church in the world to get connected to right and we try really hard honestly to make it that way we have a joke that like you know first week you show up you get greeted by the greet team second week you show up you're on the greet team you know that's kind of how we that's kind of how we roll here at new day and some of y'all are like, that's so true, right? And we email people, hey, can you serve in this role? I mean, you can say no, no judgment, but like we need somebody. And, you know, you look like you got some free time. So uh, would you like to help out? But, but that's how we see because that's what church is supposed to be like. We, we help and we serve, but we enjoy it. I love like my wife. Like she, <laughs> my wife has been the one recently who like makes the coffee. And so she shows up literally at 7 a.m. with two kids. And the coffee that we're drinking today is something that she made this morning. And she made coffee for everybody. It's a lot to make coffee for 200 people. And she went to the first service, and now she's serving in kids. But, like, she loves it. It's not a burden. It's not like, oh, crud, i got to serve. Like, it's just like, because that's what it means to be a part of the church. In Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47, uh, we see this actually lived out in the early church. And so what we've read in John 13 and John 17 is actually manifested in the real world in Acts 2, verse 42, he says, says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And get this. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. 
no barriers, no yours, no mine. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Do you see in every single passage that we're reading today from John 13 to John 17 to Acts 2, there's this idea of the community interacting with each other in such a way and loving each other in such a way that other people are compelled to follow Jesus. That's what the church is supposed to be. We don't just reach out so that they will know, but we love each other deeply, compassionately, life on life, so that they will know as well. Let's look at one more passage real quick, John 15. I just want to read verses 12 through 13. And so we just talked about how we do uh, life together, but I think John 15 has something else for us as well. Jesus says this, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. And so I think what Jesus is saying here in this moment is that, yeah, we are one. Yeah, we do life together. But true love is also doing death together. True love is doing death together. Imagine this. Imagine you had never read the Bible before. Never read it before. The problem, I think, so often is we come in and we, it's like, you know, we, we tell you the gospel, which is like the kind of the pinnacle of the whole thing, right? And so you know that. And so then we read the Bible and we kind of know what happened already. But Imagine you knew nothing about Christianity, nothing about the Bible, but you wanted to figure it out. And so you read the Bible from front to back. And so you don't learn anything about the faith or anything about the Bible until you actually are reading it. So you're learning it in live time as you're reading it in the Bible. And so you're going to start reading in Genesis and God creates the world, but then the world, uh, Adam and Eve sin. The world is broken. It's corrupt now. There's sin. And so the world's broken, but then God creates Israel, we see in the Old Testament, to be a light to the world. He's going to redeem the world through Israel, right? And yet the problem is Israel keeps worshiping false gods and turning away from God. They're supposed to be the light of the world. They're supposed to be holy and different, set apart and glorious, but they just keep choosing to fit in with the world and being like everyone else, which is broken, sinful, and corrupt. And so they keep wandering away from God, and God forgives them. They wander away from God, so he punishes them, but then he forgives them. And the whole time, like, you're reading the Old Testament, like, man, how is this going to work out? It's the same thing over and over and over and over again. Like, man, why does God keep forgetting? Why doesn't God just burn the whole thing down? Like, like why is he doing this? How is this ever going to get resolved? And you're reading the, the, the Bible. You don't know how it's going to work out. But then you get to Matthew. The New Testament begins. And as you're reading Matthew, and you've never read it before, you're like, wait, I, I think God is coming into the world. <laughs> Let's remove the veil of familiarity, which helps us like, kind of lose the wonder. But like, I think God is coming into the world. As I'm reading this, that's how it looks. And it looks like God is fully God, but he's also fully man. I think that's who Jesus is. And he's living in the world, and he's loving people, and he's teaching them. He's forgiving people. Like, this is intense. Like, God is in the world. You'd be, you'd be blown away by it. You wouldn't expect that. And then as the story continues to, to develop, you're like, well, I think God's going to die. I think that's what's going to happen. I, I, he's going to the cross. How can God die? How can God die? How can that happen? And you would be astonished 
that God would love us to the point of death on a cross. And then he rises again and sin is forgiven. And as if that wasn't shocking enough, then you read John 15 where Jesus says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. And everything in me wants to push away from this in my individualism, in my American consumerism, wants to push away from this and be like, man, that's just a little bit too intense. I just don't know about that. Like, I don't, come on. I got my life. I got my dreams. Like, you know, come on, man. Like, I don't know if I can love like that. But my question today is, like, maybe that's why the world doesn't look at us and think there's anything special really going on. It's because we're so busy, like, fitting in and just trying to be like we've always been and, and just kind of fit into the individualism and the consumerism of our culture. We keep trying to be like that, and then we, co- we complain about the world, but then we act just like the world. And the church is supposed to be this beautiful thing of love. It's supposed to be so much different, so much more beautiful, so much more self-sacrificial. And if the world's going to really look at us and be amazed and be like, who do you follow? We will have to love each other more than anyone else loves anyone else. The church, we're supposed to be different. We're supposed to be the, the pinnacle of love, and that's what God wants us to be. But we can't just always kind of back away from each other and, and back away from commitment and back away from, from cost. Because that's what everybody else does. And, and Jesus is trying to demonstrate a true, deep, sacrificial love. But we do it together. Because if just some sacrifice and some take, that's, that's called abuse, right? But in marriage, it's, it's two people dying for the sake of something better. In the church, it's everybody dying to preferences, or this is how I think we should do it, or, you know, this is how it was in my last place, or just in my gut, this, like, like, like we're all giving up something to make this thing work together because they will know us by our love for each other. And the world is so heartbroken, and it's looking for an image of true love. You see, what I think heartbreak is, and maybe you've been through heartbreak and you were with somebody and they, they left you. Like, like the reason why heartbreak exists is because someone told you they loved you and you thought they loved you and then turns out they left you and they didn't really love you. And heartbreak is when you're kind of caught off guard because you thought you were in love because I think deep down we know what love is and we long for it. But then so often what we functionally live out as love is not really love. So church, we are, are different. We love, we sacrifice, we, we serve for one another. We do it gladly, we do it joyfully. You see, there is a cost to love, but the beautiful thing about the cost to love is you pay the cost for love, but what you get in return is something far greater. See, the mistake I made for so long, and back in the day, if I would have read this passage, I just would have thought, you know, yeah, we just got to sacrifice more and do more, and we got to be miserable so that everybody will be happy. That, that, that was kind of my view, version of it, right? Just give, 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 you know? 
But we often forget that the Christianity is not just about a death. It's about a death that leads to a resurrection. It's about a death that brings new life, a death that brings something better. And so there is a death, there is a sacrifice, but what is dying in us is self and selfishness. That's what's dying, and we're giving that over. It's hard, but we're giving that over so that true love can be manifested in our lives. And the relationship and the community and the marriages that we receive from that are infinitely more valuable than just saying, I get to do whatever I want with my life and I'm on my own and I don't care about anyone else but myself. Everyone just gets what they deserve in life. That's how I see it. You know, you work for yours and you get yours and there's no handouts and all this kind of stuff. But the problem with that, if that's how the world works, if we all just got what we deserved, like if I got what I deserved, I'd get hell. And so thankfully, we don't just get what, thankfully, that's not how the kingdom works. The kingdom is mercy and compassion and giving. And so we come into this community and and we literally do death together. But what is birthed in that sacrifice is so much greater. It's a community where everyone looks and says those are truly followers of Jesus. And so I love what what James talked about last week. He's like, what in us needs to die that we could be real family? And I get it. Somebody like, man, I don't know. I just want a church I can go and sit at. And I'm glad you're here, you know. But that's not going to change the world. That's not going to inspire anybody, right? I just want to be on the membership roll somewhere, you know. Like, like, that's okay. But that's not what the church is from Jesus' calling, You see, true love is finding your joy in the joy of another. That's what Hebrews 12, 2 says. It says, for the joy set before Jesus, he endured the cross. So he endured the cross. He he bore the penalty, but there was a joy set before him. And so we trade in a self. We trade in consumerism for love so we can demonstrate real love in this world that is desperate for it. Today is such a special day in our community because for the first time as New Day, we're celebrating the Lord's Supper communion. And I love how we take this because it's just a reminder that what Jesus, that the cost that Jesus paid on the cross produced joy and salvation and unity with God in us. And we see his death and we, we, we take of the elements and as we eat of the elements, we just remember that that was his death for that my joy is the result of his cost and he's glad about it. That God is glorified in my salvation because it magnifies his goodness and his forgiveness and his mercy for everyone to see. Because I'm not perfect, I am a sinful person, yet I am forever forgiven in Jesus. And so as you see me, you see a dead man walking again because God is good. And because Jesus paid that price for me, he died for me. And so we live that out in this community. That's what the church is supposed to be. That's what true love is. So let's not push back. Let's not hold out. Let's go all in. So as we come to a close today, I want to finish with a real world true story. And I bet probably most of you have already seen this because I've never seen, at least, you know, in my years, a video more widely shared on social media than the one this week. It's the... um, the moment where uh, Botham Jean, the, uh, 
the guy that was killed when the girl walked into, she thought it was her apartment, she walked in, and she thought he was an intruder, and she shot him, and she killed him. Massive tragedy. Horrible situation, really tragic. Yeah, there was this video that has been circulating of um, his younger brother forgiving her. And someone shared it with me, and I watched it once, and then I watched it again, and I watched it again, and I literally watched it five times in a row in my office. I teared up a couple different times. It was just a beautiful image. And it's not just an image of love. He even says, I love you. He says those words in the videos you're going to see here in a second. But he demonstrates true love and then compels her to give her life to Christ. It's an amazing image, and, and we're going to watch it here together. As I watched that video this week, it was just astounding that I that was happening the week when I was putting this together. And 
It was just confirmation of what Jesus said in John 13, that by this they will know you're my disciples. By this they'll know that you're different if you have love for one another. And in this moment, he demonstrates oneness. He steps into that moment. He didn't have to be there. He didn't have to say that. He could have just not shown up to that. But he steps into that moment with the woman that, that killed his brother. And doesn't just, he's not just present, but he says, I forgive you. I love you. I want the best for you. And then he experiences death with her because he doesn't get his brother back in this life. He's bearing that. He's bearing that pain and saying, I still forgive you and I still love you for her good. So church, the question we've been asking is how would we have to love each other for our city to look at us and know that we're truly followers of Jesus? We just have to love like Jesus. Love like he loved us in oneness and death for the good of the people that we love, death to self. When you know the love of Jesus and what he's done for you, you know how to love the people around you. As it says in Romans 5, 6 through 8, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's true love. Let's live that out, church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this moment. And Lord, we ask for forgiveness in the ways in which we have not loved the way that you told us to love. God, we ask for forgiveness for the lines that we've drawn between us and our spouse or us and our kids or us and our friends, Lord. We ask for forgiveness for the lines that we've drawn between us and our church and our community, Lord. The ways in which we've tried to step back out of maybe self-preservation or, or whatever it may be, Lord. But would you make us people that love like this so that the world will see us and say those are truly disciples of Jesus. God, we can do that. We have your spirit. Would you do that in us? Would you remind us, Lord, that within the ways that we give for the others, God, that you create something so much more beautiful in us, Lord. That, God, we're not like the world. We're different. We love differently. We live differently. God, our money doesn't belong to us. My life, doesn't, my, the breath in my lungs doesn't belong to me. My body doesn't belong to me. It's yours, Lord, and you want me to love people. And so give me the courage to live this out, God. May we be different in the name of Jesus. May we be set apart. May we love strong. Help us to do that, Lord. Forgive us where we fail short. We love you. We trust you. We thank you for the price you paid on the cross for us. You gave it all for us. And so we give it all to you. We pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.